Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. One of the questions that I asked, matter of fact, I just got it asked this morning by Mary. Uh, she asked me, she said, where did you get the name Dayspring from in the church? And I said, that's the perfect question to ask today because that's what we're talking about, <laughs> is what is the word Dayspring? We named this church Dayspring Church, and, and where does it come from? <clears throat> and a lot of people think, a lot of people think, say, oh, you got the name Dayspring from the, the greeting card company. No, we didn't do that. Uh, or, or they'll say this, they'll say you got the name Dayspring from the Bible College and Seminary that's in Northwest uh, uh, Illinois. <clears throat> and I said, no, we, we're not associated with them uh, uh, in any you know, official way or anything, and uh, we didn't, but it's a good name. So where did we get it? Well, here's what we're going to do, is, is we're going to teach you today from the Bible where the word Dayspring is in the Bible. It's in there actually a couple times, but we're going to look at the, the one that's really popular, and hopefully get an understanding of what this means and what it means about the Christmas story, because it's actually very, very important to the Christmas story. So if you have a Bible today, that's great. Listen, if you don't have a Bible with you today, that's fine. Inside your program is some verses. You can follow along with those verses. Uh, and we'll put some of the verses in there, but we'll put the rest of the verses up on the screen, okay? And then what I'm going to do today, not right now, but in a minute, <clears throat> I'm actually going to show you, I'm going to show you what a day spring is. You may think you know but I'll show it to you in a few minutes what it, what it is, and we'll talk about that, uh, and you'll kind of get a better picture of the story. So if you got your Bible, let's start talking about Christmas. Let's dig into the Christmas story today. You're going to like this. In the book of Luke, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament, uh, Luke chapter 2 is known for the Christmas story, but let's go back one chapter to Luke chapter 1. This is where the Christmas story actually starts. We just never really talk about it. Uh, it's kind of in the shadow of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says, There was in the days of Herod, so that was the ruler at the time. He was a king of Judea. That's an area. That's uh, the area of Israel. A certain priest, so a priest, and his name was what? Was Zacharias. And now it explains what division or what course or what group. uh, They had groups for the priest and which one he was. So he was of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. So we have our two characters here. Ready? And this is going to be in the story. So we have Zacharias, and then here we have his wife, and her name is Elizabeth. Now, let me just give you a real quick background, uh, just so you kind of get in your picture, in your brain, this guy, Zacharias. At the time in Jerusalem, when when this is taking place, okay, this is 2,000 years ago, there were about 20,000 priests. Now, I don't know, when I think of Jerusalem, I think of the time of Jesus, I'm thinking, well, maybe there's 20 priests or 50 priests, but there's 20,000 priests, and you just don't think about there being that many. And, and they were divided into groups or categories, uh, categories not the right word, groups or courses, and, and there's about, um, uh, about, about 20 of those different groups that were there at the time, and they kind of had them divided. Uh, they actually, about a couple thousand years before King David had divided them up. And, and, and he goes in here and he talks, starts to talk about the Zacharias guy. And most of the priests, um, it kind of went to their head. It was kind of known for the rabbis and the priests. Uh, maybe they lived really good. They lived in the richer towns. Um, they let the job kind of, you know, dictate their lifestyle and stuff. 
What's interesting about Zacharias, and we won't spend a whole lot of time in his past and, and really digging into it, but he lived in some of the southern hills of Jerusalem in a very meek area, a very modest area, a very simple area. So although he was a priest, uh, you know, he wasn't living like, you know, some TV star or something, you know. He was just a simple, everyday guy. Now, take a look at the next verse, and we start to get an idea of this guy. Verse 6, and they were both righteous. So Elizabeth and Zacharias were both righteous before God. They, walking, they were walking in the commandments of the ordinance of the Lord. And take your pen and underline, if you would, please, the very last word of that sentence, because I think it's really important. They were what? They were blameless. So this doesn't mean that Zacharias and Elizabeth were perfect. They were everyday people, but they kept short accounts with God. They were blameless. It wasn't like people could walk around and say, well, you know, that guy Zacharias, you know, 10 years ago, he ripped me off, you know, or Elizabeth, you know, she's a gossip, and every time we see her in church or at the temple, you know, she's a gossip. They were just blameless before God. They were simple, everyday people. They kept short accounts with God. They walked with God. They were just trying to obey uh, God and His Word, and, and they, they still had their problems. They're still everyday people. Look at verse 7. Here's one of the problems they had. This is the big problem. Verse 7, and they had no child. Well, is that a big deal? Well, it is a big deal because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. So they're both in their 60s. They're, they're up there. I don't know. I used to think 60 was really old. Now I don't think it's that old. <laughs> Young whippersnappers, no. Um, but, but the beginning of that sentence is really important because it says they didn't have any children. Now, Guys, we have to kind of back up 2,000 years ago. Today, if a couple doesn't have, have children, it's maybe because they don't want to have children, and that's fine. Um, but today also, if a couple's not able to have children, uh, adoption's really popular, foster parenting's really popular. Uh, there's a lot of specialists in medicine, fertility, that you could go down that path, and that's, that's really popular. And so nowadays, we don't look at a couple that doesn't have a child as, as being a bad thing. Maybe it's a preference, maybe it's the way they are, maybe they, they tried and didn't have kids. But, but in these days, in these days, this was a really big deal. Matter of fact, it was such a big deal that the people looked at them and said, well, you know, the couple is, is blameless before God and they're righteous before God, but there must be some secret sin. There's something because yeah, the bottom line is the bottom line and you don't have a kid. So there's no one to take the family name. You don't have a kid. And it was really a mark of God's blessing or his cursing on you and your family. So it was a very big social stigma at the time, you know, and, and just imagine. So, so Zacharias going to, going to the temple every day and Elizabeth, and it was probably like, oh yeah, this is Elizabeth or, and, and this is Zacharias. <clears throat> and they don't have any kids. I mean, it was kind of like your label. I mean, it was, it was like a big deal, you know? And, and it was just kind of like, you know, he probably walked in like, you know, we don't have any kids, you know? And, and it was really a tough thing. So now, it was probably bad enough on Zacharias, but could you imagine, and I could only imagine, what it would have been like on Elizabeth, on, on the wife? Because in that day, not today, but in those days, they pretty much blamed it on the woman, okay? There's something wrong with Elizabeth, not, not physical, not healthy-wise, but there's something wrong with her. God's favor is not on her, and it's her fault. This is how bad it was. Ready? At that time, you were allowed, Zacharias would have been allowed by law, to divorce her because she didn't give him a child. And all the, all the priests, all the rabbis would have said, that's great, wonderful, 
he could have, with the blessing you know, of the church and, the, and the, the temple at that time, he could have gone and divorced her and found a younger woman who would have given him children, and it would have been totally understandable. Yep, good. You got rid of her, good, and now you finally have a child. See, nowadays, we, don't, we wouldn't even think like that because, you know, we, well, we know it takes two to tango, right? <laughs> and, and, and we don't know the problems and health issues and all that kind of stuff like that. So, but back then, it's pretty much just 100% of the woman's fault, okay? It just, that's just the way the culture was. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's good. It was just a big blot on it, and, and, and there's that phrase that says they're advanced in years. So... It's really bad that they didn't have kids, but now they're, you know, the clock's ticking. They're going, eh, we're both well in our years, you know, eh, eh, we ain't going to have a kid now, you know. <laughs> Do you really want a kid when you're that old? Probably not, <laughs> but, but the, this, is, this is, you know, this was grounds for divorce, and this was a tough thing, and, and what Zacharias does is, if we were to look down the later verses, Zachariah actually goes, he brings it to God, he prays about it. Interesting, the only person that could have done something about it at that time was God, he probably, church, I would guess, I don't know this, I would guess not only did he pray to God, but I imagine he, because of who he was, he knew Scripture so well, he probably had Elizabeth with him, and he probably led her spiritually and prayed. They probably both prayed together. The Bible talks about him praying. I have a hard time believing, hard time even guessing that he didn't involve her with that, and, and he, because he's such a leader, he's such a spiritual leader. Men, can I pause on this for a second? Can we talk? To, can we do a little marriage counseling for a little bit? All right, do you mind? Listen, I'm not even going to charge for this. We're not going to collect another offering. This is free advice. Men, you need to be the spiritual leader of your home, okay? It, it, I hear from women all the time that say, I pretty much have to drag my husband kicking and streaming to church. I'd have to beg my husband to pray at a meal. I'd have to beg him to be a spiritual leader. Men, don't be like that. The hardest person to get into our church, to get into any church, really, the hardest person to get into, into church right now is a 38-year-old male. That's the hardest demographic to get into church right now. Churches can get the women, but it's hard to get the men. That should be the opposite, okay? The men should be the spiritual leaders. Now, listen, ladies, don't sit there and nurture your husband. I told you. Don't do that right now, okay? That's just not good, right? Husbands, you know, you don't have to sit there and, uh, you know, my wife's right. <laughs> no, don't, 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 don't go there with this. But just start, okay? You start being the one that says, listen, Saturday night, let's go to bed early. Let's get a jump on this. Let's lay the kids' clothes out. Why? Because tomorrow morning we're going to go to church, and guess what? We're actually going to be on time. How about that for now? And, and you be the one to get in the car and get the car started and get going, and you be the one to help get the kids dressed and get them out the door and get them going. So a pastor, I get out in a car and, and warm the car up, and my wife just takes so long. She's in the bathroom getting ready, and it just takes so long for her to get ready. Well, here's what I do. We're going to be late. You know what? If she's running late, just get in the car and just leave, all right? She'll never be late again. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. That's going to be terrible. Amy, how many times have I left you? A few. <laughs> but I wasn't late for church, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and they have an Uber nowadays. She can get a ride, all right? I'm okay. No, don't do that. But gentlemen, can you be the leader? Can you learn to be the leader? It doesn't mean you have to, you know, all right, we're going to read the Bible tonight. You don't have to be that kind of person, okay? But just be the spiritual leader. You be the one to say, you know what, we need to pray with our kids tonight. That's all, okay? You be the one to say, yeah, that TV show, yeah, that movie, I don't think so. Click. Okay, you be the one. Uh, that song, boy, that playlist. Nah. You be that person. 
And, and you'd be the one to, to say, you know what, we need to be involved in church. We need to be, be here at church. We need to give. You, you lead in that. Parent, men, how about if you lead, ready? How about if you lead in this area too? How about if you lead in giving? Okay? You guys pray about it as a couple, but don't say, well, whatever you want to do. Take the leadership. You know what, honey? I think this is what we should do. Okay? And, and set the tempo. Set that. And, and, and don't be like, but I have to believe that Zacharias with Elizabeth was, was just so good at that. And it, and it was a leader in this. And, 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 and here's what else I think was so cool about Zacharias. Is the verse keeps on going that even after he prayed about the problem, and he's embarrassed, it's frustrating, he keeps going to work the next day and he keeps doing what he's supposed to do. He doesn't go, well, forget it. Woe is me. Nothing's going to happen. I quit. You know, I don't want to do anything. Listen, guys, we all have problems in life, okay? We all have tough times, okay? We have health issues. We have financial issues. We have relationship issues. We have, we have relationship issues. Christmas is coming. You're going to have relationship issues. It's just the way it is. But you get back up and you keep going. Well, my last church, you know, I got offended. Okay, well, that was the last church. Now come to this church and don't get offended and just keep going, all right? Well, I tried to help one time. and it, Well, just because it didn't work last time, get going and do it again. Keep going, keep moving forward. And Zacharias keeps doing this, and he just doesn't bail on God. He doesn't walk out with God. He just says, you know what, we're going to keep going. All right, back to our story. Verse 8, and it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, so he's doing his work, what he's supposed to be doing, verse 9, according to the custom of the priest's office. Now look at this. His lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now, let me just stop on that just for a second, because I want you to understand the significance of this. There's 20,000 priests. They're divided into, into different courses or into different groups, okay? In the, the 20 different groups. So, so there's 1,000 there's a priests in each group, right? Okay. Now, twice a year for, for two weeks out of the year, one week at a time, you would serve in the temple. So you have 20,000 priests, and you had to actually go to the temple and serve in the temple, not at a synagogue or other place. We had to actually go there twice a year. Now, they would actually draw lots of who would do this job. And this job, as you saw here in the verse, look what it says here, was to burn incense in the temple. So his job that they drew lots for, now think about that, there's 20,000 people, people are dying, new people are coming up, right? I mean, it's a rotation because it's just the course of life, right? And they would draw a lot who to do this. The reality is this, it's probably a a once-in-a-lifetime experience that you got to actually go into the back of the temple and pour the incense over the, over the altar, over the flame, and, and to do this. It was a very special, very, very intimate thing. You were by yourself. You had to be right with God. It was a very holy thing that you did, a very significant thing. And this was his day. I mean, this was like, it wasn't just another day at the office. It's like, Zacharias, it's your name. You get to go in the temple and do this. His whole family is probably there. They're probably celebrating. It's Zachariah's turn. Finally, he's in his 60s. He's never been called to do this. He doesn't have a kid. But anyways, it's really good he gets to do this. Okay? So he gets this thing that he gets to And, and the, the, the significance, without getting too much detail of, of the incense, is, is that the whole congregation is outside the temple in Jerusalem, and they're praying. And, and it's, a very, it's a very, you know, all these people are, are doing the sacrifice, and they're all praying. And he pours the incense over the, the, uh, the, the altar, over the fire there. And the idea is that it, it builds up smoke, and the smoke and the sweet smell of the incense is significant because the people are outside praying. So it's, it's symbolic of the smoke and the sweet smell going up into the air 
while all Jerusalem is praying. So see, it's kind of a big deal. It's like you're leading the whole nation in prayer, and it, it's, just, it's a very symbolic thing. It's a very special thing. Everybody knows you're doing it, right? It's not some little hidden job in the back. And so, and so here he is. He's doing this very big deal, verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. So everyone's there, and they're praying, verse 11. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So... <laughs> Not only is this his first time to go in the temple like this, all the way into the back room, right? And he gets to do this really big job, first time in his life, probably the only time in his life. But now there's an angel that shows up. And when Zacharias saw him, verse 12, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. So the angel shows up, says, Guess what? Don't be afraid. Your wife's going to have a baby, verse 14. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, when I get in my 60s, if I find out my wife's having a baby, I don't know how happy I'm going to be. But apparently for him, it was a really big deal. You know, he's really excited. It's like, finally, I'm going to have this child. And I know that with God, all things are possible. He knows the story from the Old Testament. You know, Sarah having a baby in her 90s. And so he knows. But just remember, an angel shows up. Interesting. He knows it's an angel. Right? Uh, okay. No one's supposed to be in here. I'm supposed to be here with God alone, and here comes an angel. So he knows this, and he understands this, and, and he knows that this is from God. So he knows that what? This is not going to be an ordinary child. What's the hint? The hint is we're naming him for you. Now, we, don't, we won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but you have to understand the big deal about naming. You know, back then, naming someone, you named your child after you. It was a big deal. The names had meaning. And, and there, if you were to study backwards... There is no Johns in his family. You, just, you know, nowadays people just pick names. Have, have you noticed some of the weird names today? Uh, I, we, we, my wife met a boy, and, and well, I, should, I shouldn't say this. Maybe he's here today. Um, his name was Gravity, G-R-A-V-I, Gravity, like gravity. And it's like, do your parents not like you or what? <laughs> your name is Gravity. And she met this boy and, and she just felt bad and just prayed for him and, and he was a waitress and gave him an extra tip saying, well, you're going to need help, you know, because <laughs> your name ain't getting you anywhere. But, but this, <laughs> this, this guy is now, he's named John and there is no Johns in the family. There is nothing, right? Okay, well, this must be a big deal. So, so this is like too much for him to handle, too much for him to grasp. Look at verse 18. And Zacharias says to the angel, well, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. Oh, yeah, call her old. Yeah, there, that works out good. Verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel to stand in the presence of God, and I'm sent to speak unto thee and to show thee glad tidings. Don't you know who I am? Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day of these things shall be performed. So why? Because thou believest not my words and shall be fulfilled in their season. And so he says, listen, you don't believe me. You know what I'm going to do? Zip. You can't talk anymore. Side note, I also think, and I, I have a little bit of a hard time proving this, I also think he couldn't hear. The reason is because later in the passage, when they're trying to communicate to Zacharias, they actually draw pictures and write words to him. If he could hear, they wouldn't have to draw pictures to him. So I'm thinking he can't speak, and I'm thinking it means he can't hear also. I'm thinking that. Okay, so he goes in the temple, does this incense, the whole congregation, all Jerusalem's praying to God, this is wonderful. They don't know what happened behind closed doors. He comes out, I can't speak, you know. He's trying to communicate it, 
And, and so look at verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias, and they marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. So like, what is taking him so long? And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of administration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth did conceive and hid herself five months. Okay, so they come out and they say, what is going on? He's like, you know, I you know, can't hear. And what happened? And he tries to explain to them. He sees an angel. He goes home and he communicates with his wife. This great thing has happened. And, and days, weeks later, they find out that she is going to have a child. And it's like, whoa, this is really an amazing thing. You can, at home, read the rest of the story. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's really pretty cool. Elizabeth meets Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. They're, okay, they're cousins, they're family. It's a very interesting story that happens that how she finds out that she's pregnant and the whole story happens. For the sake of time, we're going to skip most of that really cool story, but I want you to read it at home. Could you go down to verse 57 with me? Because I want to I get to what we're talking about here for the Christmas story. Verse 57. So, you're probably saying, well, who is John? Well, John is the guy known in the Bible as John the Baptist. And his job was simply put was the forerunner of Jesus. So, so they're, they're related. Him and Jesus are actually related. But his job is to go out and say, hey, hey, Jerusalem, hey, Israel, that guy over there, he is the Messiah you've been waiting for. So he's kind of like the, like the social media of the day. Because remember, they didn't have printing presses. They didn't have TV. They didn't have radio. They didn't have newspapers. They didn't have email. So how do you find out that that guy is the Messiah? I'm going to go and be a big mouth, and I'm going to tell everybody everything. So he's, he's got the gift of gab, and he's going to be out in the wilderness, and he's going to say, hey, he's coming, he's here. So he's going to be the guy that's going to promote it. Now, go down to verse 57. Now, Elizabeth's time, uh, full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. So she has, she has baby John. And her neighbors and her cousins heard now the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced. Wow, you finally had a baby. This is so exciting. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, that they called, uh, uh, they called him Zacharias. So they're there at the bris, the Jewish bris, and they're going to do the circumcision. And all the family, and you could just imagine, have you ever watched uh, Fiddler on the Roof? You know, I, just, I love that movie. And they're all there, and you could just imagine, they're all sitting there going, and there's all the, the relatives, ah, oh, he's beautiful, you know, tradition, his name must be Zacharias. Why? Because the father's name Zacharias, and, Mary, and Elizabeth says, uh... No, no, not this one. <laughs> you know, maybe the next one, but not this one. What's his name? Uh, his name's John. What? Are you crazy? Tradition, what are you doing? Don't you know better? You can't do this. So, <laughs> verse 60. And the mother had answered and said, not so. He's going to be called John. And they said unto her, there is none of thy kindred that's called by thy name. Now, verse 62, so they go, they run out the door, and they go find Zacharias, and they made signs to his father. So they're, they're sign language, or drawing pictures, they're, they're trying to communicate, so I'm guessing he can't hear. How would they have him called? And when he asked for a writing tablet, he wrote saying, his name is John, and they all marvel. So they're going, well, she just said his name was John. Now they go out and they ask dad, and dad says his name's John, and at that very moment, boom, that very moment. His speech returns, his hearing returns, 
He's back to good old Zacharias who he was, right? Because God said, listen, you know, now, now is the time. Now we get it. You get it. You have faith. Now you understand it. Verse 64, and his mouth was open immediately and his tongue loose and he spake and praised God and fear came on all that dwelt around them. Yeah, you better believe fear came upon them. And all these sayings were, were noised abroad throughout the hill country of Judea and they all heard uh, them, laid them upon their hearts saying, what manner of child shall this be? Here, this old lady has a baby. The, the priest, he can't speak because he came out of the temple and said he saw an angel. And, 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 and now all of a sudden he mentions the name John and now he can speak again. She has the baby. Everything's healthy. This is amazing. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied. And he goes on these next few verses to talk about what John is going to do. And like I said before, John's job is to kind of be the, the social media, to kind of be the, the publicizer of Jesus who's coming in just a few months, okay? So Mary's still expecting at this time. She's, she hasn't had her baby yet. So John's a little bit older than Jesus, okay? And you can read a lot about John the Baptist in the New Testament, and you hear about a story. But Zacharias goes on to explain what John's going to do, and this is where we're going to look at, okay? Let's look at this, and then we'll be done. I want you to get it. At the very end of what he explains that John's going to do, he says this. Go to John, Luke chapter 1, look at verse 76, okay? Look at verse 76. And thou... This is talking about his son, John. And thou, my child, this is what John's going to do. He shall be called the prophet. So he's going to be what? He's a prophet of who? Of the highest. So he is a prophet of God. His job is to tell everybody that Jesus is coming. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. So it's, it's kind of like, like, I'm going to get everything ready for Jesus. So when Jesus comes, everyone knows he's coming, and, and everything's getting set for him. And that's my job, is to let everybody know that the Messiah is coming. All right, go down to verse 77. And this is where it gets interesting. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. So how does that happen? So Jesus here, John's saying that, that his job, or Zechariah's saying John's job here is, is to give knowledge of salvation of his people by the remissions of the sins. What are you talking about? And this is where it gets really cool. Look at the next verse, verse 78. This is how this happens. How are people going to get saved? How, how, are, how is this guy, Jesus, the Messiah, how is he going to make a difference? Well, this is how. Through the tender mercy of our God, through, so through God's mercy, whereby the, say it out loud, church, very good. Second time in the Bible that word is used referring to the same thing as it was used in the book of Job. So whereby the day spring from on high has visited us. Now, go down to verse 79 and let's look at that. And what's the purpose of this visitor, this day spring? Well, here's the purpose. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, death to guide our feet unto the way of peace. So go back to that verse right before. It talks about the, this is what the day spring is, right? And they look at verse 79. It says, this is what he's going to do. This is the job he has. His job is to give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the question then is, what is a day spring? What is it? Well, um, how many of you have ever been to the Cadillac Mountains in the east, Arcadia National Park? Anyone here been to the Cadillac Mountains? You, Matt, you guys have? All right, good, good. Uh, that's it? Wow, okay, next year, put it on your bucket list, go to the Cadillac Mountains. It's been on my bucket list. We finally did it this year. Um, if you go to the Cadillac Mountains and you climb to the top of it, it's not that huge of a mountain, but it's a good-sized mountain. You are, you are technically, by angle and by elevation, you are 
the first person literally to see the sunrise in all of the United States of America because it's coming up on the east and just because you're, you're all the way out, like you're way out here on the very edge of here, you know, of, of the United States and you're the first one to see it. So it's kind of a novel thing. You get up there in the morning. Uh, you actually have to have reservations to go up there. If you're, you can't just go. You gotta, it's a big deal. And you go up there and you're up there with a few other people and you're the first ones to see it. It's like the government figured out a way to tax those people that want to see the sunrise first. They do a wonderful job by giving tickets to that. And, and so you get taxed to see the sunrise. And, um, but you're the first person to see it. So, but what's interesting is you have to go way before sunrise. Like, you look at your watch and Siri says, you know, the sunrise is at, you know, 6 o'clock, whatever. You got to get there like at 4. Because the crowds know because of this. Because you start to see what's called the day spring. So the day spring is the light that is before the actual sunrise comes up. So the implication, the understanding is that, that, that in those times there were travelers who traveled at nighttime, and maybe it was an overcast night or whatever, and they didn't quite know their way. Remember, they didn't have compasses, all right? They didn't have their phone to tell them north, south, east, west. So you'd be traveling at night, and you just didn't know which way to go, and, you know, I'm at the edge of this cliff or not, because it was dark, it was overcast or whatever. But what would happen then is early, early, early in the morning before the sunrise, you would start to see the break of dawn or the day spring start to come up, and you would immediately know, oh, east, west, north, south. You would understand that. So the purpose of that was to give a weary traveler, to give a traveler who's lost, to give them direction. So when we talk about day spring, it's literally meant to give someone direction, to point them in the way that they would know to go. I'm going to show you a photo from the Cadillac Mountains where we were there just this fall and show you a picture of the day spring. So it's a little blurry here, but you get the idea. Here's, here's the ground here. Here's the mountain we're on. You can see the trees right here. You can still see the stars up in the sky. But you see, this isn't the sunrise. This isn't the sunrise. That's not the sunrise. The sun hasn't come up yet. This is, this is I don't know, a half hour, an hour, maybe an hour and a half before the sunrise even comes up. But if it's a dark night, if it's an overcast night, if you didn't have your compass, if you didn't know which way to go, if you didn't know what up from down was, you could see the day spring and you'd be, that's the direction. Now, take a look at this next photo here. This is, this is just a little bit later. Now, that is called the sunrise. Do you see the difference now? So that's the sunrise. Before we saw that, that was the day spring. It was the light before the sun came up. And, and he says the purpose the reason that I'm giving you this, the reason that Jesus is coming at Christmas is so that he could be the direction for the direction for the way that people that are lost and don't know which way to go. Now, church, I don't know about you, but let, let me ask this question. We've got to be finished here. Do you think that the world's getting weirder every day? The, raise your hand if you think the world's getting weirder. Okay. Raise your hand if you think the world's getting darker every day. Yeah. It is. It definitely is. Uh, we, we won't go there for the sake of time. I wanted us to spend a little bit of time in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 lays out very clearly what a society looks like when they don't have God. When they've decided to hide God, suppress God, I'll even say this. Romans 1 says it. When they don't want this and they push this out of the way. When, when this gets pushed out of the way, 
people sit in darkness. Can we go back to uh, Luke chapter 1? Let's look at verse 78. I'm sorry, verse 79. Can we look at that verse again? Without God, our society is, is in darkness because they don't have a direction. Therefore, the purpose that Jesus came was to give light to those that are in darkness. Church, is the United States in darkness? Is it getting darker? Why? Because we have systematically pushed this book out of the way to where it's not needed, dare I say it's offensive. I'll I'll predict this. Ready for my prediction? Romans chapter 1 is going to be cataloged as hate speech. And anyone that preaches from Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 will be subject to hate speech fines. At which time, when the Supreme Court does do that, the following Sunday I will be preaching a message on Romans chapter 1. So just get ready. And, and who else, Pastor, who's going to jail? We've already got it figured out. Pastor Tanny's first. Luis is second. <laughs> My wife is third. We've already decided on this. I'll go fourth if they still want to push it that far. But, but that's what Romans chapter 1 says. Romans chapter 1 says when you have a society that just keeps pushing away, pushing away from God, pushing and wants to hold down, wants to suppress the things of God, and, 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 and Romans chapter 1 says you're without excuse You have it right here in front of your face, but you'll deny it. And Romans 1 goes on to to paint a pretty dark picture of what society looks like. I could read it. I don't mind reading it. But all you have to do is look at the news, and you're reading Romans chapter 1. All you have to do is turn on anything, and guys, I mean anything, produced out of Hollywood, and it's Romans chapter 1, okay? I'll be honest, too. I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm wrong, I'm old-fashioned. I don't honestly know if there's a movie at the theater that you can watch nowadays that doesn't paint a good picture of Romans chapter 1. It's pretty dark. It's just pretty dark. I, you know what I'm saying? It's just, we've gotten to laugh at immorality. It's a joke, isn't it? And, and we've gotten to laugh. You know what Satan's done a really good job at? He's gotten us to laugh at sin. We started laughing at sin with... Uh, with uh, uh, Andy Griffith, with the, who's the drunk that was in jail all the time? Otis. Otis, right. And it was funny. Otis is a drunk. It's funny. It's not funny. Otis had his wife, his family, his debt, his money. He was a drunken bum, but we think it's funny. It wasn't funny. Otis' family, of course, we don't know the story, was hurting because dad, grandpa, uncle was a bum. He was an alcoholic. But we thought it was funny, and we laugh at it. Now we think Andy Griffith is a joke. The whole show, it's a Sunday school picnic. You can't turn on nighttime television without them laughing at homosexuality, without them laughing at sleeping together, without them them laughing at drug use, without them laughing at gender confusion. You you, you just, it's it's, it's just all funny. It's just, it's, that's because society has taken this book and pushed it far back. Can I tell you something too, church? If you go to a church, listen, if you go to a church that the preacher won't open this book on Sunday morning, you need to get out of that church. Why? Here's why. The devil does not care. I guarantee you, the devil does not care if we get together, we sing praise songs, and we have the kids come up and sing, we wish you a Merry Christmas. The devil's like, I don't care. The devil's not trying to get you out of church, okay? He doesn't give a rip about that. What the devil cares about is this book and the truth being preached from it. That's all he cares about, okay? The devil cares about the gospel. The devil doesn't care if you get together and, you know, and, and do Santa Claus or whatever. He just doesn't give a rip about that. It doesn't care even if you just get together and, and have church and get all dressed up. He doesn't care about that. 
What he cares about is God's Word being open. Romans chapter 1 is the result of this book staying closed. That's what it is. So if you're going to a church that the preacher is either afraid to bring this book up or literally won't open it up and read it on Sunday morning, you need to find another church. So what does that mean? Here's what that means. That means in the future, and I think closer than we think. I think churches that actually open the Bible are going to be under an awful lot of persecution. I just think so. I think churches that don't bring their Bible up and just sing praise songs and just have a good time together and just say, be good neighbor, story time with the pastor, be a good husband, be a good employee, uh, the government's going to say, well, no, they're helping out, whatever, that's great. But a church that opens that book is going to be on the forefront of Christian persecution, okay? Because the devil does not want the day spring, the day spring from on high to give light to those that sit in darkness, okay? It's the only person that's giving light to those that sit in darkness. So, look at the rest of this verse. In the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's talk about that part next week. And we'll dig into it a little bit more because I don't have to explain the whole story of Zacharias again, okay? But are you starting to see the picture while Jesus came? And, and before he was born, they said, the Messiah is coming not to make us rich, not to rule, not to get rid of Rome. He's coming to give us, oh yeah, the direction that we're supposed to go and to give peace and order and organization to our life. He's going to be the day spring from on high and there will be no light without him. That is the purpose of, of, of that and there will be no salvation without Jesus Christ. Church, this year, can, can, can we just, and I mean this, the next couple weeks, can you just be sold out bent on giving the gospel? Grab some gospel tracts and put them in your pocket. We've got those ones out there that say the gift on them. Those are the blue ones, the, the little quiz. Would you tell people about what it means to go to heaven? Would you do that this week? Just this, Guys, listen, this is the story of Christmas. If we're not doing this now, <laughs> what are we waiting for, all right? If you're not on board for Christmas season now, don't wait till January. This is our season. This is the time we're supposed to be telling people about the day spring from on high. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the day spring from on high, that whosoever believes in the day spring from on high should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ literally came to die on a cross, be buried three days later, rose again as the payment for our sins. God says, you know what, just by believing that, by trusting that, you have eternal life. You are part of my family forever. I got to work for it. I got to be good. I got I to take communion. I got to get baptized. I got to give money. Those are good things to do, but they don't pay the mortgage. They don't get you to heaven. I did a wedding yesterday in Lake Geneva for Scott and Amanda. A little, I think their little nephew came up, and he said, I was at your church. And really, a little tiny, I don't know, five, six-year-old boy. You know, just a little tiny kid, cute little kid. And, and he just says, he, he, I, I got questions about what it means to believe in Jesus. Like what, and it's just, I mean, li, I mean I, kindergarten, Amy, maybe, just, and, and it was just like, I've got some questions and I need some answers. Okay, <laughs> here we go, you know. That, that's what we do here at Dayspring. Share the gospel, disciple people, get people involved in ministry. That's just all that we do. So if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've, never, if you've never trusted the fact that Christ paid your debt on the cross, you should do it today. Don't wait. Don't, don't trust your baptism or your church membership because that won't do it. And that little boy said to me, that little Vinny, I think his name was Vinny, he said, he said what does it mean to have a mortgage being paid. I don't know what a mortgage is. <laughs> You'll learn, turn up, kid. Yeah. 
But, but that's the, he was paying attention. The gospel is that simple. Have you ever trusted in Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, you should do it today, okay? All right, we'll continue this next week. We'll talk about what else the day spring is supposed to do. Sound good? All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for our study today. Lord, maybe someone today has never trusted in you as their Savior. Maybe someone today has never trusted in the fact that Christ died on the cross and paid our sin debt. Lord, I encourage them to do that right now in the quietness of their mind, to trust in what the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried three days later, rose again to pay our sin debt. Maybe someone's done that right now. Father, would you give them a special, special blessing today? Lord, encourage us today, this Christmas season, to not be afraid to share about the day spring from on high. Your son that came to visit us to show us the light because we sit in darkness. That was his job. Help us not to be shy. Lord, we're living in Romans chapter 1 right now. We are. It's dark. It's really dark. Christians can't be shy right now. We need to be bold and be a light to that darkness. Help us to be bold. In your name we pray. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.